1: Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back for year five. Yes, as the Euros head toward their conclusion thoughts begin to turn again to FPL. This means that after a bit of a summer hiatus, which was quite enjoyable, actually, I guess the itch started to creep in after the game's recent early launch, and we thought, you know what, we get a pod out slightly earlier than we initially thought, just because we've got a packed pre seasonal of content for you. But anyway, I'm Tom, and we are Who Got The Assist? You can find me on Twitter, at WGTA underscore FPL, Anthony, who we'll hear from in a second, at FPL Stag, also on Instagram, WGTA Make sure to give us a follow on those channels and subscribe to our podcast on whatever source you use to get your podcast. And if you've enjoyed this or indeed have enjoyed anything we've done over the past five years and haven't quite gotten around to it yet, Please do give us a five star review wherever you listen or indeed consume our content, because these are hugely appreciated in terms of spreading the word podcast to new listeners here, there and everywhere. But as you'll no doubt be pleased to hear if you are new, I don't do this on my own. I'm joined by the man who proves that UK EU relations are possible in these trying times. Uh, It's young Anthony from the Emerald Isle, otherwise known as FPL Stag. Another season. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, Tom, no, it's great to be back earlier than we expected, as you say, but that's just because we've got so much good content to get out this summer and we wanted to make sure that we were able to get the time to give it all uh, an equal billing. Mm. So this pod will be shorter than usual. What we're not going to do is a full analysis of the prices that have come out. Uh, There's just too many moving parts involved at the moment to give you a good insight from July. We've, you know, a potential new striker at City, is Jack Grealish moving Jaden Sancho to Man United. And then there's lots of potential moves for budget enablers, the likes of ESR, Gilmore, et cetera. And those are going to be very material from an FPL perspective, looking at uh, how budgets will break down. So instead, what this pod is going to look at is just the structures that the prices that we have now are imposing on us, taking into account a bit the fixtures and the relative strengths of teams going into the 2021-2022 season. It should be a good one, I think, for returning listeners um, who are thinking about FPL already, but also new ones who want a bit of an introduction to us and what WGTA is all about. But for all of you, a point of interest, our WGTA Mini League code is 2IP43T which is nowhere near as easily memorized as the one that we had last year. No, but anyway,
1: they're very annoying. You can't change them. I'd, I'd love yeah. it to be WGTA 8 or something like that. But you, That's not my password, by the way, to WTA account. <laughs> but you can't change it. Like, it. It's so annoying. So yeah, 2IP43T. Is there an easy way to remember that? I'm not sure there is.
0: IP43T. Anyway. With <laughs> <A> partridge. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, sure we can jingle out of it somehow. But oh, yeah. anyway, how did you spend your summer, Anthony? I am... Um, well, I moved house and I was reveling in declining to do content for the Euros and for the most part enjoying the tournament. The bit of Euro fantasy is methadone. And um, and I remembered the true reason I play fantasy sports, which was that there's an extra bit of interest outside of full fat gambling in pictures. I would only have marginal interest in otherwise. But um, I heard you were in a boat somewhere off Southern Ireland a lot of the time. Um, how's that? Novel or poetry compendium? You're clearly writing coming together. Are you getting closer to a bohemian dream? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, much, much as you might think that um, I was taking a break from FPL and avoiding Euro fantasy to uh, spend time like a hermit on a boat writing a book, I was just just enjoying uh, the Irish coastline and. Uh, primarily working on my master's whilst the last of my master's thesis whilst uh doing all that so no it's been a lovely summer enjoying the sunshine and spending a bit of time with the family before uh work actually starts for me in september so i've been kind of making the most of that kind of i i'm almost it the last summer of my childhood Tom. yeah um, last summer of freedom i
1: remember it. it very well i was 22 <laughs> years old your age i was in shanghai Oh, it's just, it was a marvellous time. It really was. Um, anyway, we're, we're raring to go in terms of FPL. Another season dawns and we're back for it. Well, I think first, before we get into any sort of uh, FPL-related chat, I suppose we should give a quick sell of who we are as a reminder to commit listeners and an introduction, I guess, to those of you who are listening for the very first time. Welcome. So. What is GTA? Who are we? Well, who got the assist is the distinguishing question that means you can tell if someone's a fancy football manager, right? If you're in the pub and there's a has been scored, everyone will like, oh, who scored? But the reality is, if you play FPL, the question that you will ask is, who got the assist? Because there's the extra points there. Duh. So Nick and I started this five years ago, and Nick is a former co-host. He'll be on throughout the course of the season, I'm sure. But he's uh, taking the year off because his family's gotten bigger, so he's kind of low on time this year. But we started this five years ago in response to a need we identified from a bit more evidence for, and generally I think a bit more analysis in terms of what we were seeing at the time, as well as just enjoying FPL, and at the time as well, thinking we were good at it. Nick was, and Nick still is quite good at it, whereas uh, my FPL abilities fell off a cliff. Um, I'm Tom, I've got four years of mere finishes whilst in WGTA, but a few decent ones as well in my locker, so a 2K1 here and there, and a few top 50Ks, um, and so on. In real life, I work in research for a financial services firm. I'm trained in both quantitative and qualitative research. And I used to head up the call function at Behavioural Science Practice too, which is where we started this from. 32, and my likes are FPL, gaming, sci-fi, Star Trek fan, puns, portmanteaus, and beer. So I'm glad I'm not single because otherwise it'd be a case of ladies form an orderly queue. Yeah. And uh, well, as I mentioned, Nick's taking a step back this year, but we were a trio for a little while and luckily Anthony still joins me as well. And Anthony, you joined 18 months ago now, something like that?
0: Yeah, 18 months ago, uh, just after you were able to enjoy the trip of a lifetime and traveling was just fine. Uh, I came, <laughs> I came on board. Yeah, you, you came back and then suddenly everything closed <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, came on formally from that point on. I am a 24-year-old student, soon to be working properly in law, Uh, so as long as pretty much I've been in the FPL community, which is a while at this point, uh, I have basically been a student and always had some sort of exam coming up on the horizon. I guess, first and foremost, from a football perspective, I'm an oft-suffering Ireland football fan. My Premier League club will be Manchester United, but my passion is much, much, much stronger for Ireland. And I pay disproportionate attention to Irish players in the league and continue my crusade to ensure that Doherty is pronounced correctly by everyone, including Mr. Tom here beside me. But a bone of contention.
1: Yeah, uh, I-, I can s- I can pronounce du- 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 oh, Doherty, Jesus. Doherty dirty very very well oh screw it I, I, this has been an ongoing thing for return listeners but for new listeners i know you can say a word and you can say it in conversation and you're fine like but if you're in front of an irish person you're trying to pronounce the uh, matt doherty like i just can't do it it's Like, i thought I like there's much pressure on me right so from now on what i'm going to do is do this matt doherty that's our friend fpl king uh, otherwise known as paddy there and every time that Matt Doherty's name comes up on the podcast I'm now just going to insert that just because I'm covered because that guy pronounces it correctly it's exact same sound stag so I hear and um, he is an Irishman after all there's an anthony and um we're just gonna go with that because I can't pronounce it and I don't want to go for the embarrassment anymore so I'm going to defer to my Irish brother Paddy
0: Doherty not even Matt Doherty would agree with Paddy's pronunciation of it but look we'll um We'd Have to allow it. Look, he's, he's got his uh, Irish bona fides as well, so I, I can't doubt it, although I strongly disagree with it. It's the exact same sound, Stag. So, uh, from an FPL perspective, then I've been playing for over a decade and I'm into my sixth year doing FPL content of some kind or another, having written for different outlets for periods. My best rank for the FPL Stag days was only a 12k finish, and since FPL, Stag started actually last season's 34,604th place to finish was my strongest so like Tom yeah but who's counting so like like Tom I've definitely been trying to find the path to the top while also producing content and overthinking things along the way and usually I'm the architect of my own downfall but here we are enjoy talking about it enjoy chewing over the stats and probably end up giving far better advice than I actually follow myself.
1: Yeah, I thought like that's kind of a bit of a defining characteristic about what WGTA is as a podcast. So you've heard who we both are. And together, I guess uh, WGTA is a, a certain sort of thing. The first thing to say is that we're free and independent. I run this podcast at a loss and um, I pay for everything um, and I don't want any money from listeners. I'm not even a patron of money or anything like that. I think FPL and money, the two of them going together, make me feel profoundly uncomfortable. Uh, I don't mind if other people make money from it, of course, but I don't want to. And the best way you, you can repay me is by enjoying the pod. That means there's no best interest here. We're not trying to sell you anything, any particular sort of you know, company or anything like that. Nor are we going to give you a bland, sanitized view of things because we're not trying to get into bed with FPL. And, and this freedom means we're able to sustain our niche and we can make podcasts that we enjoy. Longer-term listeners will know that I think, boiled down, there's two levels of need when it comes to those who are into their FPL. Level one is tell me who to pick. So I'd say 80% of those engaged with FPL are looking for the answer to this question. You know, they don't really care about the reasoning behind the pick. It's a few names they need, and they're, they're away. That's enough for them. And there's reams and reams of content providers out there who cater to this. I'm not going to name any names because it might be misinterpreted as me being disparaging. I'm really not because they're providing a great service to lots of people to give them exactly what they want. But I guess where we are is level two, um, on my little sort of two-stage hierarchy thing here, uh, which is tell me why to pick them. So stage one, tell me who to pick. Stage two, tell me why to pick them. And this is, I guess, where I think we really flourish, because we tend to do a lot of work to make sure our podcast well-researched, and the pods tend to be named after a particular question, for example, impacting the week just gone. But we also often don't actually give you a, this is a definite conclusion, and hopefully we assist you make your decisions. We don't make the decisions for you, effectively. I'm not saying we're more intelligent. And I'm not saying we're better than those making kind of basic and inverted commas content. But what I'm saying is that we've got a really nice platform to spend more time analyzing the details of FPL and really nerding out on it, I suppose. And if that's not for you, that's that's cool. Um, but if it is, you're in the right place. And I think the tagline, you know, you can see the new banner on our Twitter uh, made by my friend, uh, Thomas Kucharski, uh, that reads FPL insight driven by data. And I think that that's exactly what we set out
0: to do. Yeah, most of the time, we're probably not going to be giving you a fish, but we will be giving you a fishing rod and uh, we will continue (laughs) to to give the fishing rod. And I guess, as part of that as well, uh, as Tom says, we do like to nerd out on FPL, but we also like to nerd out on the meta of FPL. And so you will find at times that the discussion will fly off into the other reel. And part of that is the correspondence section, which is definitely two fishermen discussing on the bank as we (laughs) look at the river go by and catch some fish and what the correspondence section is a section that we introduced last year and it basically allows people to bring in their comments their thoughts their addendums whatever it might be on FPL or on previous podcasts and we can kind of really get into those in a long-form way Sometimes we've had poetry, sometimes we've had songs, but sometimes we've had proper questions that are really you know, trying to delve into like greater themes in FPL over the course of a season. Or indeed, for one particular player who might be playing in a particular way that's interesting to us and that we feel deserves to be excavated in a more detailed way than you would ever find in a podcast that's trying to introduce you or give you all the fish on FPL at a given time.
1: Yep, indeed. And uh, in, in typical pod as well, market forces where we look at how the transfer markets have responded to the game we've just gone, which often actually informs kind of the, the meta question that we go through. And uh, listener questions are the other mainstays uh, for a normal podcast. I love selling, Anthony. It makes me pretty queasy. <laughs> but I guess before we go um, into kind of our, our sort of structural analysis of the of the season, um, of the pricing for the season ahead, there is one sort of mini feature I think I wanted to introduce we spoke about it kind of before coming on and I think that's a really good thing to do maybe influenced by being at work and you know sort of setting objectives for the team and myself with my boss etc it made me think about how it might be a good idea to write down or I guess in our case verbally articulate say three objectives we could speak to for the next campaign and I don't mean this by way of the unwritten rules pod that long-term listeners remember that we've done in the past that we used to do have a lot of fun with and promptly forget all about. No, I, I think with these, what we should do is make it kind of a new feature of the campaign that will lay out these objectives and make sure they run throughout the season as a bit of a you know a thin red line that we continually check back on to make sure that our actions are based in these objectives. And if they aren't, explain why they aren't based in these objectives and why we've sort of broken away from them. So I'm not saying. Um, And make a binding promise that you can never get away from because things do stay fairly fluid in terms of FPL. But as objectives, as kind of overview objectives, as it were, um, I think those things would be quite interesting to do, especially based on the takeaways of last season.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think what this also allows us to do is be somewhat more accountable to ourselves and maybe also to you guys, that if you find that we state some sort of objective here, and we just, for whatever reason, maybe like the unwritten rules in the past, might just forget those objectives that we said. It's a good way for you to just be like, OK, w- what happened, Anthony? Why did you change your uh, approach to that particular objective that you set out in preseason? And it gives us a chance to you know, explain how things have developed and to really track how things happen. Because football is kind of one of these things where it's always the next match. And in FPL, it's always the last game week that people tend to be influenced by. And it is very hard actually over the course of a season to understand how your opinion has changed because there's just so much information kind of flows through so many decisions pass by. And then, you know, 30 game weeks later, you look back and you're like, how did those five players end up in my squad at one point? Like that could never have been a possibility now. And so it's kind of interesting to try and have something that maybe temporarily links us through the season.
1: Yeah, it completely goes out the window, doesn't it? Like it's like rotation and um, preseason, goalkeeper rotation or defensive rotations throughout the season. Um, in preseason, they are all these sort of things that sound absolutely grand. Um, before we get into the season proper, but the rounds yeah, the, they all go the, out the, the window, the, don't they?
0: Yeah, the 10 game week uh, Excel spreadsheet yeah, based on the fixtures rubbish. to maximize it's, it's points useless. where you're going to rotate four different elite players. You know, you're going to bring in Bruno in game week seven, but only after having Aubameyang for game weeks five until seven. And it's just like, how is that going to work? And these plans never actually come together. And so this is just kind of in a more broad sense, objectives that can kind of help us anchor ourselves through this year.
1: Exactly. Anchoring is completely right. Like making sure that we don't fall prey to recency bias and overvalue recent impacts compared to past events. And in, in this case, it's a way of kind of making ourselves, as Amber said earlier, accountable um, for our preseason assertions. It's time to anchor ourselves. Let's hope they're not, uh, you know, concrete boots as we fall into the Po. and nonetheless i think they're gonna be quite interesting ones to follow throughout the course of the season so without further ado um here are my takeaways from last season how i'm going to link them to some objectives the three takeaways that i had were these the, f- the three huge ones actually there were quite a few that i did and there's a thread from last season where i looked at all of these the first one was really poor captaincy this has been an ongoing issue for me for the last few years I've tried to be too maverick i've tried to you know trying to be too clever effectively I've tried to outwit the herd and every time the herd has outwitted me i've been trampled you know by a figurative herd of bison and uh, that has been one of my huge achilles heels for the last few years so poor captaincy was one key outtake from last year what pause my rant to be where it was for 267k second transfers in uh, creates the high net gain so last year I had actually got 240 net gain from transfers in including hits um, which especially came to the fore when I was forced to gamble later on in the season which probably showed that I was better in the situation where I was taking risks and was kind of making moves to try to uh, make my position better and the third kind of big problem I had last year was that I was playing with 10 men a lot of the year so My 11th man, actually, in terms of my team of the year was Dawson with just 29 points. He was my actual third defender. So because I've been chopping and changing so much throughout the year, I effectively ended up with 10 men. Um, If you imagine that I didn't have Dawson, I had Dallas or something. I'd be hugely up on the overall Rant I ended up at. And that's something I think needs addressing. Of course, all these things are a little bit kind of centrifugal from each other, because on one hand, I'm saying, well, I need to be more stable uh, with the likes of my captaincy and be less maverick. On the other, I'm kind of saying, well, I seem to suit being quite gambly and taking lots of hits or moving my players around a lot. So my objectives, Sounds I think... Sounds
0: very strong and stable, Tom.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. So I guess I'm trying to stabilize the ship a bit with my... Uh, with, with my... Last time I heard that, it
0: worked out really well. And these were may... Seen.
1: These may, Anthony, um, also um, you know, pick out the things I hope which work for me and also kind of mitigate against things that don't. So the things that work for me is basically taking risks. So one of my objectives this year uh, linked to the transfers in point is I'm going to take the risk more. And this is kind of sp- specifically situational. So I'm not going to take risks for the hell of it. I'm not going to be taking minus 12, minus 8 every week because that's just ridiculous. I mean, no one's going to be taking me seriously if i do that um but one thing i will commit to do is if it's a 50 50 between sticking and hitting i will take the hit and um, so over the course of the last three or four years i have mostly moved towards sticking and i've been frustrated um it's not really worked for me to kind of think well you know i'm going to play it safe in this situation so this year if there's a 50 50 i'm going to hit it and take that chance rather than playing it safe as I think that that seems to suit me a little bit better. And my instincts tend to be quite good. And they tend to be drowned out throughout the course of the week by the narrative of FPL, Twitter, and all that sort of jazz. Um, But this is counterbalanced by the captaincy thing that I'm going to do. And it's a little bit controversial because people might think, oh, he's abdicating responsibility. Oh, you know, he's a blah, blah, blah. The fact is that I'm rubbish at choosing my captains. And I'm completely aware of that. And I'm pointing out that flaw. I know that about myself. I'm aware of it. And So what I'm going to do is give it to the algos specifically um uh, Mikel's algorithm uh transfer uh, the transfer algorithm as you can find on Twitter um I'm going to go with that every week and trust its captaincy rankings basically I'm going to do that all oh, year. I'm going to give up my own agency for captioning throughout the course of the 21-22 season and um, it's one that many quality managers like Fabio Borges spare by so I'm just going to follow suit and go with that because I'm I've had three, four seasons. Anthony, you will know. I've had so many seasons where captaincy has clearly not worked for me. It's been a huge Achilles heel. if I had got three or four more captains every year, the captains that I'll talk myself out of, which are clearly, you know, bloody obvious then I'm automatically in a, in a decent position. I've got decent ranks and I've, I haven't got this sort of you know pressure weighing on me to do a little bit better. So Captain C, I'm taking it out of my own hands. I'm aware that's a huge flaw in my game. I'm going to just kind of abdicate to uh, more objective sources in terms of an algo.
0: Yeah, those ones actually do make a lot of sense, Tom. And I, I do distinctly remember so many game weeks last season especially where we would do our game week reviews and we would do them in order of who got the most points or whatever and of, so often it would be you'd had a good game week you'd selected you know some defender and midfielder who poxed a load of points that meant that you, like, you wouldn't have an atrocious week but at the same time you never got that you know the in a cricket parlance you never got your four or your six because you just always had the captain off on on the wrong limb that day and it, it got you
1: yeah no exactly and I think that abdicating that responsibility is something that like it has a proven track record of making its other transfer algorithms are available of course and um, but i'm that's what i'm going to go for and the third point is a bit of a transfer one again linked to that dawson point and of course i've had to kind of reconcile that with the idea of um trying to be risky whilst at the same time kind of introducing an element of stickability so there's those kind of glue guys aren't there as late riser would say and i think actually this links in very well with last season's meta Um, you know the, the kind of the game within the game that we saw that people called it the year of the casual and we characterized it as that you snooze you lose meta and I think what lies behind this is the fact that there are many players who were quietly consistently returning week after week you know and there are players that I ignored or there are players I never quite get to or whatever and my third sort of rule which is a little bit less cut and dried than the other two but my third rule is that if there's a player like this that I haven't got so you know a Dallas I should have got the Dawson you know likes of Jaylings Willock Danny Ings back in the day if there's a player like this then my third aim is to just swallow my pride and get them in In accordance to the first rule I won't sit there and be like oh you know I'm going to wait one more week and see if they're going to do it I'm going to take the risk this year and just kind of go in and a player like that I think I'm going to probably try to be better at spotting these guys earlier on. And obviously, if if they do keep returning, there's no need for me to remove them. But the hope will be that I'll get in on these players slightly early because with players like Jay Lings and players like Willock last season, just that kind of one to two weeks late to those parties, it didn't quite lead to the outcomes that I wanted it to. And my stickability wasn't that great with players last season as shown by the Dawson thing. So those are my three. Taking the risk in 50-50 captaincy outsourced effectively and uh, trying to prioritize those sort of players who are showing signs of consistency whatever those are is quite roping up in the air and the final thing my target rank wise is top 100k would be nice effectively those are mine Anthony I'm very interested to hear what you've got to do though because you had a decent season last season I think the outtakes were a little bit more favorable for you so I'd be interested to see what you do next
0: those were all interesting objectives, Tom. I think the third one in particular is going to be uh, much easier to lay out in pre-season than it will be to fol- follow in practice. Oh, I'm interested see. to see how that goes. It's, it's a bit like uh, <laughs> each week I'm going to look into my crystal ball and get the right transfer, but I look forward <laughs> to seeing how it works out, <laughs> I putting it bluntly. <laughs> so I guess building on the takeaways from my own campaign last year, which, yeah, as you say, Tom, it did go quite well finishing 34-ish K, but at the same time, maybe burying the lead somewhat, if I didn't say it, my aim would always be the top 10K. And so at the end of the day, that was still disappointing. And I felt like there was there were points left behind. And I guess my takeaways try to address those. One of them, a bit like you, does relate to the captaincy. But what I found was that I strayed away from the herd a bit too much um, by my own assessment at the end of the season. And so with that in mind, I feel like I just need to go with the herd. I'm not going to be following any specific algorithms like you. uh, And instead, what I'm kind of going to try and do is just narrow myself down. So basically, if I have a 50-50 decision, one thought is that I'm going to go for the midfielder, not the forward. So Hmm. basically, I'm not going to go for Harry Kane. I'll go for the midfielder. And with that as well, with the captaincy, I will captain with algorithms or with the herd 75% of game weeks which basically means that anyone with 60% plus in terms of their captaincy percentage, so you're talking about an effective ownership of well north of 100 in the top 10K, I'm going to really have to think about them. Like Those are the players that I'm basically going to captain from 75% of the time. So I'm basically allowing myself, you know, a a of of season, okay. eight, eight, nine game weeks where I can do what I feel like. Because as you know, I feel like I need to do that every Year basically, okay. But last year, what I found was that I broke away about half of game weeks as it actually turned out, and that was just too much. I diverged an awful lot. The result actually was about the same. I had a pretty good captaincy result overall, but that was actually because I had a few that went particularly well that banged and kind of brought the number up, but there were too many duds in there, and that's what I'm trying to iron out because it was an unnecessary risk that I need to just pair back overall.
1: Mm. So- is it the fact that you're going to be going with a particular captain poll?
0: No, so I'm or going to win. avoid any algorithm or any particular poll. But I think we all can feel it in our waters, who is going to be the two, at least, most captain players in a given week. Sometimes, you know, when it's going to be split three ways. There's a few game weeks through the season where there's no obvious pick. And those are, I guess, those will be my one in four if I feel like going off and breaking away and captaining um someone from some mid table team because they have a good fixture a Callum Wilson type character then i can but otherwise i feel like when there's when there's a captain obvious there and they're going to have 100% plus eo and i know it, and they're not just someone who's always getting 100% eo because of high ownership you know that's obviously a problem too then uh, i go with them and i i i don't want to be too anchored to any particular poll or any particular right, algorithm because right, okay. i'm unlike you you're trying to farm out the idea i'm still trying to hold autonomy at the end of the day
1: yeah, you, uh, still, try, you still got that, that trust in yourself as uh, do. being able to fit the captain. And to be honest, that has been uh, borne out in how your outcomes have been. And I think that completely
0: makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I guess moving from the captaincy to transfers, I feel like I just need to stop being afraid of transferring out underperforming, highly owned, expensive assets in my team. Last season, fallow, long, extended, difficult, frustrating patches from especially Kevin De Bruyne. To an extent, Mosala, late season Bruno Fernandes, all burnt me. I was just too afraid to transfer out the elite player that I had and ignored the scintillating form of others. For example, Home and Son, who I did not own for something like the first eight game weeks of last season when he scored, is it an exaggeration to say most of his points, but it's not too far off most of his points were scored in those first eight game weeks that I completely ignored because I was sitting there going, Kevin De Bruyne, the time is coming. I know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, he's getting the chances. He's, he's he's getting those one-on-ones week in, week out. And his XG is good. No, like just don't be afraid to give it up and just go with the one that is performing for people and whose ownership is starting to increase. I just, and um, maybe it, it kind of harks back to what you were saying about being a tad stubborn in your ways when it came to maybe rapidly changing some players and then maybe being a little bit too tied to your ways and others it's kind of my version of that there isn't really a particular like numerically accessible objective in that but that is um, an objective of mine a little bit tangential to that is that I'm basically going to try and keep my hits low And whilst doing that, I did quite well last year and I was definitely a small C conservative when it came to my transfers. Mm -hmm. And uh, with that in mind, I'm going to try and kind of keep it to a max of 10, which I did keep inside last year. And I think I can do it again. It worked quite well for me, but it meant that I had some sort of structure to my transfers. And I'm going to try and keep it to a maximum of one, Hit in the first five game weeks. Basically, I will have one card shuffle allowed for myself if I need to in those early weeks, if not a wild card. And in that game week one team, I'm going to try and keep it to a max of like eight template players in my first 15, which kind of allows me to really set myself up in a way that allows me to make that card shuffle if I need to to join the template, but go with my own objective feelings to start. And maybe tied in with it, since that's discussing transfers, is that. I don't want to be making so many transfers late, late on Friday nights or early, early on Saturday morning. I took what uh, WGTA would call the Austin rule, the rule of don't transfer in a player early in the week who you might end up having to transfer out later in the week uh, too far. And I often found that it meant that I was making silly decisions, especially when it came to second player moves using two free transfers or taking a hit to finance another move that if i was making some moves to try and free up a space for an elite midfielder or a mid-price midfielder or a decent striker and there was a defender being moved i so often made a mistake with the defensive transfer that i just didn't think it through enough
1: Hmm. and
0: part of that was because i really sat down trying to make the decision you know, what was the last minute for me. If it was Friday night, it was because I couldn't do it Saturday morning. And if it was Saturday morning, the deadline's coming. And I'm sitting there going, oh, the team news is going to come and I might get something. So I don't want to make a decision too early. Um, And I just found that I was just backing myself into a corner. Just make the bloody decision on a Thursday. (laughs) You know, Like I, I I can't say I'm going to make decisions on Thursday every week because sometimes it's going to be things that we're waiting for. So, you know, this is a kind of a moving thing, but I'm going to try and avoid making my transfers in the 24 hours before the deadline. Uh, So maybe just to summarise those ideas, captaincy, don't stray too much from the herd. Transfers, don't be afraid to sell those elite assets, but at the same time, managing my hits so that I don't take too many of them throughout the season. And those very much tie together because it's usually those elite player transfers that are causing me to take hits in the first place. And don't make transfers late. Okay, interesting.
1: Interesting. So three rules there from us both, Anthony being captaincy, captaincy, uh, transfer related in terms of the nature of who you're transferring in and temporal one effectively and don't transfer too late whereas for me as you heard earlier on all that captaincy abdicating captaincy responsibility effectively uh taking the risk uh, if it's 50 50 and uh, also taking hits or at least moving towards prioritizing those sort of glue guys uh the stickability characters who um, i should be bringing in bearing in mind the you snooze you lose meta of last year and with all of these, if we do break them, I hope that we'd be able to at least turn around and say, you know what, we broke them because of this and we'll give reasons for it. But if we don't, definitely call us up on it, we don't mind, um, at us or you know reply to the podcast or email in for the correspondence and say, yeah, we're, <laughs> very, we're very, very happy to take questions and take things like that. But I think that that's good. It keeps us accountable throughout the course of the year. But let's take a break there and move on to our kind of uh, initial price reactions after this who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's time to give our initial price reaction so as i mentioned earlier this isn't going to be you know a a deep and narrow sort of dive into what's going on uh, with the prices we're going to do that later on in the pre-season i think when a lot of the transfers have been made not probably the week before game week one probably the week before that i think that'll be when we do a our proper you know, analysis of the prices because there's just so much we don't know at the moment. And during the past kind of few years, we've done early price analysis and it's not really quite worked out because things have changed. You know, a new player has come in, has completely shifted everything and we've kind of gone, oh, actually the recommendation we made a little while ago doesn't stack up anymore because something has happened to make things change around. There's Anthony mentioned earlier, you know, that's a Grealish, that's a Kane, even the likes of 4.5s like Gilmore moving around could mean that we come up with different conclusions later on than we do earlier on so i don't think it's worth doing early in the preseason like we used to do instead what this is going to be is a shallow and wide sort of you know hodgepodge of a few things i guess some beginnings to our thoughts and we'll get back to them later on in the preseason. And i guess the first thing to talk about is the structure of the game this year the game came out a few weeks ago So I guess the first question is, what do we think of the pricing architecture, I suppose, the structure of the game this year? On first glance, Anthony, what did you think?
0: What really stands out to me is that there's a squeeze in midfield. Um, And that's always the case, but I think that's a little bit more pointed than it has been in previous years. So up there in around 12 million, you've got Bruno, Salah, Mane, KDB, Sterling, and then you've Son coming in at 10 million just below them. Now, Sana, 10 million, he is a bargain at that price, I think. But it's another big hit to the budget in the midfield. Then you've got Kane in front of him. He's very hard to ignore at 12.5. I think there's a choice being forced between the two as it stands for your game with one squad if they're both at Spurs. And there's one of those big ifs that means that we can't really go too deep into the specifics of these prices as it stands right now. And then the defence, I think, also def- actually demands quite a lot of budget. There are so many 5.5s. And it's also going to be very hard to ignore Trent Alexander-Arnold from the off this season, uh, provided that he's fit, which as it stands right now is not something that's being questioned. So with that in mind, I'm thinking that it's going to be very hard to get out of the goalkeeper position without spending at least nine. I know some people will say that you can get a 4.5 and a 4.0. I'm not, I'm not all about that. <laughs> You've got defence. I think it's going to be very hard to get out of there without spending at least 27. And that breaking down is 7.5, two 5.5s, a 4.5, and a probably at this stage anyway, a dud 4. That very easily becomes 28 million if you just spend an extra million. It means you don't have a 4.0 hero, it's a 4.5. And one of those 5.5s becomes a 6 million defender, probably DS. That's realistically who you're going for if you're stretching with that 0.5 in the forwards and there's a reason why i'm going from defense to forward you need to spend at least 18.5 i think to build something that's somewhat uh somewhat competitive and at that point you're definitely making some serious uh sacrifices to make sure that you facilitate a midfield that 18.5 how is it broken down you're basically talking about one 4.5 so an Femi or someone like it who's probably a dud in your side kian davis is in a 4.5 again great a 6.5, there's quite a few good 6.5 options, some of the promoted strikers and some familiar faces. And then 7.5. Uh, you could do two 6.5s, okay, and spend 17.5. But I think at that point, you're, you have, you're taking quite a lot of risks on probably unknown quantities or players who flit in and out of form and can't be depended on all the time. 7.5 does stretch you to slightly more dependable people like Callum Wilson. And so with that in mind, I think 18.5 is the minimum you can spend on forwards. If you do what I'm saying there in terms of those minimum spendings in goalkeeper, defence and forward, that leaves you a maximum possible 45.5 million to spend in midfield. And more than half of that goes into Bruno and Salah and leaves you with 21 million between three players for which there is so much talent at 8 million-ish that it means you'll probably have to compromise and have some weaker or cheaper Uh, midfielders in there the likes of Rafinha who is at 6.5 and indeed Dallas who is in there at 5.5 what that basically just kind of tries to illustrate for you and I know it's all quite hypothetical is how squeezed the midfield already is if you have done everything in your power to make sure that you have the maximum possible budget in midfield and that's ignoring getting someone like Kane or the hypothetical other possible Man City striker that comes in into your side they're really making us make the big choices this year between the elite players. In a way, I think that we were able to get around last year because of the people that were playing second fiddle who could more than make up for it. Basically, at Man City, between the likes of Gundogan and stuff, who made up for the fact that you didn't need to spend oh. that 12-ish million.
1: Don't forget, you'd never have been
0: interested in Gundogan, game we won. But you may have been interested in Foden or something, yeah, or Mares yeah, 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 or someone. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. What I'm more okay. getting at is that that choice is being is very being very very clearly posed to you before game week one. Right. Of course, last year you wouldn't you would have put the money into City thinking that they're going to do well, and it wouldn't have worked out for you. But at the same time, I don't think any of us are going to go into this season thinking differently because of how City played last season or how they started last season. And right. as well, those cheaper midfielders that were there, who were really enabling at five point five and six, they're now seven and eight and a little bit more than that. That squeezes the budget
1: remember last year, though, that City and United didn't have a game in game week one. So things are trying to make a like for like is a little bit bit difficult. I think you're definitely right, though. There's a lot of value in a lot of areas. And there's kind of conservative pricing in those slots to hedge bets is how I think FPL have done it. There's a real glut in the 7.0 to 5.5 region of midfielders, as I think you've kind of inferred. And the 6.5 to 8 million forwards, they're full basically of players who could emerge as proper bandwagons either early or at some point in the season. If things start to take off for them, they will look like amazing bargains. They're a nice platform price if they do start scoring. I think, in terms of other things, on first glance, for me, it felt like they hadn't put as much thought into it as I might have liked. Uh, there are a few areas where more thinking could have gone into it, perhaps to make it more interesting game or at least compel more player choice. Um, I agree that there are a few sort of questions that are all posed to for managers, but I feel like they're the same questions as last year. If you look into the Hill, for example, and I think we'll go into this kind of you know later on in the preseason, but you know, Mane at twelve. Versus Salah at 12.5, I know it's a very kind of headline example, but that's a huge example of how there's a bit of a missed opportunity for me in terms of how there could be more of a question posed to FPL managers. Because that renders Mane redundant, really, I mean, unless Salah gets injured or something like that. Like, why put Mane at just 0.5 off Salah? We saw last year that there was just no comparison there. Why well, not put Mané down to eleven or so and make it a proper dilemma? Because suddenly you've got a choice of going right. You go with the proper Liverpool premium with penalties. Who's got all the stats on his side, or you go with the player from Liverpool who, um, you know, if he's going for a hot streak, he's really hot and he is more than equal to Salah. If he's not, then fine. But you've got that sort of disparity in price to make that sort of an interesting question. As it is, there's just no contest, and that to me was a bit little bit of a missed opportunity. Other things as well, I point to. Vardy, 10.5 million versus Nacho, 7.5. I mean, really? Like, I know Vardy has been consistent in the past, but he's 35 now. And there's Patson Daka coming in from Red Bull Salzburg. And I think maybe he's the guy, uh, Vardy, who's going to end up being the 60-minute man this year as a plan of succession starts to be put into place. So that 3 million disparity between two players felt a bit silly to me. Above the things, you know, a KDB uptick to 12 million from 11.5 starting price last season felt really odd as well. I know he's going to start a lot, but I don't really know what he'd done to get there, to be honest. Like there was a poor season, mitigated by injury, of course. So giving him a price rise felt a bit odd, to say the least. These isolated examples, of course, I'm deriving a bit of a trend from. Overall, as I've said, the pricing structure is more akin to recent efforts that we've seen that create a certain sort of game. But in some places as well, I feel like you know, you mentioned earlier there, Anthony. You know, you've got Salah, you've got Bruno, and you've got TAA and game week one. In some ways, there are not that many choices to be made to begin with, at least how it looks like at the moment, without there being a lot of dilemmas. We might see a quite sterile sort of template sort of condition to begin with, at least. Linking that in with a high interest to begin with, with the high expense ownership that's going to, that's going to create, I suspect it'll be a case of FOMO driving people towards the template as we begin the season throw in as well the fact there's lots of 4.5 billion defenders on the boil too the likes of Cody, Fafana who were unexpected 4.5s who tease value um, despite being a sensibly boring picks so I think that we've got quite a conservative pricing structure this year and I think that to begin with at least I mean I I kind of I'm a little bit different to how I've set up um, this year, I I actually have got only one 5.5 in terms of the defence, and I've gone for a 3 4 3, and I put a little bit more in the strikers because I like the fact that DCL is just eight. I like Ollie Watkins at that price. And as I mentioned, I like Nacho. So I like spending a little bit more in the striker bracket um, around the eight million sort of mark. But this could all be thrown out the water, as I said earlier on. And the reason Anthony gave for not giving an in depth sort of look at the pricing structure at the moment, because if Harry Kane goes to City, then something this is all out the window. And then we've got to kind of be thinking, how do we get Kane or when does Kane come in? So it's always an interesting sort of time at the beginning of the season to be giving initial reactions to the pricing. Um, But I think it's an interesting structure, Anthony, that's for sure. I mean, what do you think of my thinking about it?
0: Yeah, I guess I didn't put the emphasis on the forwards as much as you have in that kind of budget that I was in the allocation of budget that I was kind of hypothetically putting forward, which was really a way to illustrate how tight it is in midfield and how difficult it will be to make decisions. I, I do think that putting a little bit more money into forwards is what will be required. And that means then that the choices that are going to be required of you in terms of your elite midfield picks become much more razor sharp because you will struggle to get Bruno, Son and Sala, let's say, in. So that's going to be very, yeah, very absolutely. expensive and stretch you beyond belief. They're so expensive that cutting corners in defence... Doesn't work unless you cut corners on the whole of defense in the way that you talk about with maybe going three at the back uh, to start with. I, again, I don't fancy that. I, I feel like just having a bit more money in defense and working that way, the whole trope of if TAA was a midfielder and he cost 7.5, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'd all think he was a bargain kind of stands, you know. And yeah. I, I feel like it's not going to be the frustrating season that it was uh, as an owner of him for so much of it uh, last year this year and uh, kind of don't want to get caught by that i do feel though that this pricing structure maybe just to tag on to what you said to some extent means that sometimes the binary results that come from the captaincy will be a little bit more emphasized this year because you won't necessarily have that captaincy option player in your team to begin with usually the captaincy burns you because you have the player you don't necessarily get their captain points. Whereas this year, I see it being a distinct possibility that you're you're sitting there, let's say, on Bruno and Salah. That means you ended up having to cut your cloth very tightly in other places. It means you don't have Son. And San is playing against Norwich, who for some reason are in a bad run of form. And it's very hard to get him in because his value tied up. You go without him. He's a really popular captain pick because other people have made a decision that you didn't make and you get done by it. And I just feel like last year in particular, especially thanks to Man City, and the way they performed. But even Liverpool being non-options for so much of the season, it meant that we were always able to kind of get around that and we usually had the elite players we needed or would be able to move around the deck chairs in the Titanic to get them over a two or three week pre-planning period. I suspect there'll be a few weeks where we get caught, especially in the early weeks of the season.
1: Last season with the the 200 club, for example, we pointed out about the fact there was a very small number of those players within that particular cohort of players who we could rely on consistently. Will it be the case this year? Like the past trend has been not the fact that that there's only a small cohort, 200 plus players in the 200 club. The past trends have been that you've got seven or eight different options going on. So absolutely that could hundred percent happen. And that would be really, really interesting if it does happen as well, because it means there's different ways to get into those upper echelons of the ranks. You're not as you were last year, just kind of, fighting a Sisyphean battle um, against the players who had all of these players in, who had done very well from the off, were able to then kind of just entrench their rank. Perhaps this year, if there are all these options out there, as Anthony's just mentioned, it might be a slightly different season where we do have that sort of potential to move upwards and take those risks and for them to pay off, to go with those premiums outside of the premiums in the twin plate and do a little bit better there. So hopefully it'll be really interesting in that regard.
0: Yeah, and not to like hammer home the point a little bit too hard or put on too much butter here, but like I guess just put it this way. Last season, Manchester City were good, but from an FPL perspective, it was very odd the way you could buy into them and get value. Liverpool were off the boil for so much of the season that it meant that it was actually quite OK to go without them. Chelsea were off the boil for so much of the season and from an FPL perspective were actually quite cheap to buy in. They remain relatively cheap to buy in, but at the same time, you didn't have to spend that money, which made um, budget allocation a little bit easier. Spurs were good for quite a lot of the season, and it meant that you put budget into them. You got rewarded first. There was a decision made for you. Yeah, Likewise, yeah. Bruno at Man United. But that basically meant that there was only really two teams' as elite players that were really required um, for much of the season. And I know Salah ended up, up there in terms of points, but the way he got there was um, frustrating for many managers, and it meant you held him through an awful lot of dips and so it's just slightly different. He he kind of remains one of those just you know set put him into your team and hold type of characters, um, but at the same time it just meant from a budget perspective you weren't squeezed. And I don't think we would expect to see as no. much of the top four underperforming for long periods of time this year as we did last year.
1: No, absolutely not. I think that'd be that'd be really interesting. I think it'd be really good for the game if there are more options. I think last year when the core frustrations was I'm struggling. What can I do? Oh, I've either got to hell marry it i've got to kind of put on my template armor
0: and hope for the best you know the i'm stuck monologue in lost in translation and it's like you know does it get any better no (laughs) you know that was last season for so much of it that it it was just it was impossible to chase it you just kind of felt like you were trapped in your own kind of like dream fugue state if you didn't manage to escape it early on and it took really patient slow small gains if you wanted to make your way through like i you know cut away from you know it was like 400k and it took me 20 game weeks of pretty decent management to get that to 30-ish k it was a bit a little bit lower in the 20s for a few weeks but came back to it. it was so hard to make those gains i don't think that's going to be like that again
1: Look, I think it'll be interesting to see how it goes this year and we'll definitely come back with a price analysis full on um later on in the preseason I think for now it's worth just kind of moving on to a couple of other extra points surrounding this uh, the first one is position swappers um every year there are a few last year Tasman fury took us to a in midfield and uh, there's a big song and dance made about them as the likes of the bridge other pointed out I didn't quite work out um, And well himself has uh, gone down again to a striker. And he's been joined uh, by uh, Alain Saint-Maximal as a 6.5 million striker. And these two are worth pointing out very quickly. Um, because I think there's been a bit of a deficiency in strikers um, for a few years now. And we saw that last year as well, the 200 club, uh, where Kane was far and away the best striker, maybe with Bamford coming in there at five, uh, five uh, was it 5.5 million last year. He started in the um, so 2.5 million price jump uh, this year. Um, but I think there was a real sort of um, deficiency, I think, in strikers over the last kind of few years. So I think them kind of throwing a couple more in there has just basically just serve to bolster that sort of repertoire of strikers that we could possibly choose from I suspect.
0: For one transfer of a forward into the league I think away from a particularly big headache. You know mm. if, if if Kane doesn't end up going to City and Haaland comes in for example just to pick someone Yeah, random, yeah. but yeah, well, yeah. it could just as easily even be uh, Lotaro Martinez or a I don't know Andrea Bellotti type character who comes into one of the top teams or if, to be honest actually if Aubameyang even just hits a bit of form and just causes a little bit more thought I think then suddenly that forward conundrum becomes a much bigger one than it has been for a few years now for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got um, Calvert-Lewin, Ikenacho, and Watkins as my front three at the moment because there's a lot of value in that 8 million sort of slot and as I mentioned earlier that ties into my view that they're quite conservatively priced because they could Do the job of a nine million striker, or equally, they could do a job of a pile of crap. (laughs) You just don't know these sorts of players. So yeah, it'd be really interesting to see what happens with that kind of striker slot. Aubameyang to striker could reinvigorate him as an asset. To be honest, um, because last year he was crowded out, frankly, by the likes of Bruno, Salah, and Son in the midfield. There was no way he could ever fit this guy in unless he was on an outrageous run of form that you couldn't quite ignore. Um, so those are two that I would perhaps point out. The other one is Stuart Dallas, a midfielder at 5.5, which is expected. And I've seen a few people saying, oh, that's amazing value. I mean, is it? It feels to me that's definitely a case of being lazy, um, because 171 points, yeah, great. But, and um, I mean, this is back of a cigarette pack maths. Let's take points off per clean sheet that he got. He keeps one, of course, he's now a midfielder. But if he got 12 clean sheets last year, multiply that by five. Six, yeah, so minus 48, six, six, I think it is, isn't it?
0: Take one off for each of them, so it's 36.
1: So 171 minus 36, that takes one, three, five. And then if you take off the extra point he got for a defender for the eight goals, that equals one twenty-seven, And then he got 15 bonus last year. Will you get that again? I don't know, because a lot of defender bonus is actually based on getting clean sheets. So you're looking at, you know, about 120 points for Stuart Dallas, actually. So that kind of takes him away from the upper echelons where he is now. It's a very clear case of availability heuristic and also just being confronted with a data point that if you don't think critically, you could be like, oh, this guy's an amazing value. He's five point five, and my god, he's been well up there. 80% of the people have bought him now. But if he gets one hundred twenty points or so, you know, that's level with the likes of Gilfry Sigurdsson, you know, Pascal Gross, Stuart Armstrong, you know, maybe Pablo Fornals, and is is that really good value for five point five? That's it's a decent enough buy-in, isn't it? And maybe there's more to his game, and maybe you'll be able to step up again. But if you're looking at about 120 points for him, I'm not sure that that's amazing value, really, for 5.5. So he's another one, I think, that through the position swap, I'm not particularly
0: interested in. Yeah, I think I maybe a bit lazily saw the Dallas price to start and was like, oh, brilliant. (laughs) Nailed in. And then, yeah, as just any bit of kind of critical thought came into it and you just did the basic maths of it, it didn't stack up as well, especially actually just because Rafinha is in there at 6.5. I think you spend the extra million and you get him in, um, especially given that Bamford is 8 million. And, you know, it's, it's a different price bracket and a very different reach in the forwards that you have to make rather than just getting Rafinha in and kind of Bob's your uncle at that point in terms of your leads coverage to start with anyway. So, yeah, that, that position swap, I think. I don't want to say it completely kills Dallas as an FPL asset because you just never know what happens. But certainly, from a game week one prospect perspective, I don't think he's a particularly good option for sure. No, I, th-
1: I think that equalizes him actually with other options in the bracket, like ESR. Yes, that's, yeah, good way. Like, like him yeah. Bueno, something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and even the the likes of uh, Suchek who offer that little bit more. Yeah. Uh, you know, are justifiably six. Uh, and, you know, someone with a ceiling who you know has shown that they could be brilliant, but we just don't know what's going to come. And obviously injuries, for example, are going to be a bit of an issue for him. But Eze, for example, is the type of player that you would expect to be paying a little bit more for because they offer you so much more potential, I guess, from an FPL perspective than Dallas ever would.
1: Yeah, And it was basically Lundstram mark II, effectively in what happened to Dallas. Bargains wise, um, I think we should probably nominate free here, Anthony, and leave kind of in depth yeah, analysis it, later keep on. It, keep it tight, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, which guys have you pulled out here?
0: All right. So first of all, I look at the Brighton defence. I think that that's just uh, broadly. Uh, you know I can point to a number of names that would be good options there. There's the Ben White, obviously hasn't moved club um, as it stands, so he'd be a good option of four point five. Uh, Lamptey as well as there at four point five again, and would be a good option. If he's starting and all the caveats that go with it, and maybe just taking the easy option there is Justin goals. Sanchez um, feels to me like the best of the 4.5 options. Robert, who's not Roberto, uh, seems like a pretty good option uh, there. So that kind of brightened defense. Second half of the season, for example, just to give you some basic stats on it, they were the second best defense or third best defense in the league, depending on how you want to look at it. They were second best in terms of goal proceeded per game. They were third best in terms of clean sheets. They were up there in terms of second and third for big chance conceded and XG conceded per match as well. And they have very good early fixtures, which means that a double up is quite viable. So bargains there. Looking a bit further forward, I guess, a midfielder I picked out is Kai Havertz at 8.5. I think he could be a particularly good bargain gem there. We've seen how attacking he can be. We've seen how high his ceiling can be. And last year just wasn't at all typical for him. It was a season pockmarked by COVID, by injuries, by having a manager who didn't trust him for so much of the season, and then having a manager who trusted him so much that he was seeking to preserve him for bigger games in Europe for an awful lot of the rest of the season, which I feel just meant that we never quite saw his true potential in FPL. We have seen it to some extent in the Euros, what he can do as well. And 8.5, to be honest, I was hoping he might come in a little bit cheaper, just we've seen players like that kind of squeak in at 7 or 7.5 but it's totally understandable that he's 8.5. I still think that that could be a bargain and that he could... Uh, I'm not sure if he could be a 200-club player, but I totally could see him being a 170 or 180 type. And then up front, Iheanacho, 7.5. 12 goals to his last year. Second half of the season, between, like, between game week 20 and game week 38, he was the fifth best in terms of points per start with 6.71. That was behind Bale, Foden, Gundogan and Pepe when you filter out players who only played like two or three games. And I think that he's pretty well set to do that again. Yep, Uh, I had
1: Nacho as well. um, Similar sort of uh, analysis as you, actually. Yeah, I mean, he only played in 42% of the games last year, according to 16 games, according to the minutes uh, divided by the uh, 3-4-2-0 of the first game that you could play. Um, 110 points scored and 6.8 points per game uh, within that. Uh, framework, So not to be sniffed at as you say, Anthony. And if he keeps a little hot streak um, and Harvey Barnes doesn't mean the team change of shape again, um, I think that he'd be a ridiculously good price. 7.5, he's in my team at the moment. Uh, they've got an okay start. Wolves, West Ham, Norwich, ex-Club Man City and Brighton. And, you know, people are talking about Pats and Dakos. But I wonder if it's Vardy who actually loses out there um, rather than um, Nacho. I'm going to go front to back um, because you also had Paberts. So I'm going to have to reach into my reserve notes here. Um, I've got a couple. Uh, ESR, obviously interesting uh, Aston Villa at the moment. Hopefully he won't go. Uh, according coin De Bruyne, last year Arsenal won 67% of the games where he started. Only 30% more he didn't. I like the cut of his jib um, for that price. Um, a decent start at Brentford uh, before Chelsea and Man City. But the beauty of him is that he's benchable, 5.5. But the one I like actually is Rafinha, 6.5. He's a bit of a standout, really. Uh, six goals, 10 assists last season, one hundred thirty-three points. Not a bad return, you know. Um, but in terms of per start, where his data really comes alive. Because here you've got a player who's in the top 10 in many attacking, analogue, expected sacks ranging from xa shots key passes and actually if you watch him play you can see why he's likely to offer goal and assess potential for next season because he's everywhere you know he's a versatile vertical attacking player and that price yeah he's definitely worth it especially in that bielsa system and at the back i mean you've got for as a Boring 4.5 million. If Leicester persists with a 352, you've got Neko Williams or Brandon Williams, either of those twins, if maybe they move for 4 million, I mean, that might be nice. One that I did look at initially was Shaw. He's very much a, you know all fart no poo. I mean I'll speak about Bryson too in a minute. Uh, last season, but he seems a decent price for a player who created second most chances and was in the top ten for XA last season. Like if he got gotten six, that many most of back them coming did.
0: from corners. That yeah, yeah, mostly, you know, necessarily mostly it was, high mostly. quality and all the rest
1: of it. Yeah. yeah, it was low quality, but it was still in the top ten for XA. So I mean that's still pretty decent, isn't it? If, if players are able to finish the dinner that he makes, then fair enough. Um, But he's not actually my pick. The one I actually want to call out here is uh, Shufao at 5 million. He did very, very well in the European Championships. Um, But how he kept that 5 million is a mystery to me. Now, again, that's perhaps more lazy pricing. Um, But I'd say that guy is the likeliest of all wingbacks to play the vast majority of games. He outscored the likes of Luke Shaw and Luca Dean last year. And he had a superior XA and big chance creation than Cancelo. Okay, how West Ham do with Europe on their plate too is important, but with you know Newcastle, Leicester, Crystal Palace, Southampton, Manchester in their first five, and the fact that he's likely to play. The majority of games for West Ham next season, I think that's really fantastic value uh, for him. I think I wouldn't have batted neither if he was 5.5, to be honest. So the fact that he's kept the five probably due to the fact that he's an under-the-radar sort of guy and FPL don't seem to be good at picking up players who are under the radar. Is perhaps one of those who, which is to our benefit as FPL managers.
0: Yeah, I guess I can understand actually why he ended up being a 5.0 option, not necessarily because of the stats, but just because if you had given two West Ham defenders 5.5, it just would have seemed so disproportionate, like Cresswell's already 5.5. And so I think it's justifiable to give him that little bit less. And with that in mind, yeah, there's a, he's a bit of a bargain in there. But at the same time, that's on the basis that West Ham play like they did last year, which, if you remember, was a complete surprise. Uh, and yeah, kind of for yeah. and for about twenty five game weeks, we were kind of in denial of that fact, and then we started to buy into it towards the end. Um, especially, I guess when J- when Jaling's came to the fore and started really doing well. But the thing was with that West Ham team, and just going into the weeds a little bit on that West Ham team, is that there was never one consistent performer there. You talk about people finishing the dinner that Luke Shaw was providing. You never knew who was going to be continuously finishing the dinner at West Ham. Like, multiple players had their periods. There was a, a Mikel Antonio period around Christmas. Saucek had his period as well, where he was particularly brilliant. Uh, the likes of Jared Bowen had short periods where they were of interest. Lingard, of course, we've mentioned. Um, they don't have someone in there that you can say, okay, he is going to be the player that will consistently finish the chances that Sufad provides. Um, and so I just, I'd just i be interested to see who they bring in to kind of make that price unignorable on the basis that West Ham do have very good early fixtures like Newcastle, Leicester, Crystal Palace, Southampton in their first four games. It means you, you you know, it's very understandable to have a West Ham defender in your team in game week one. He's the one you'd have right now. It would be interesting to see if there's something to make that decision completely a no brainer.
1: Sure. Attack wise though, as a United fan, you know what David Moyes does, which is smash crosses into the box what the West Ham have? A lot of very tall players. What do mm-hmm. they also do? Play for set pieces. What mm-hmm. have they got for those set pieces? A lot of very tall players, mm-hmm. like Suchek, Dawson, Antonio. What are they all doing in corners? They're all getting involved in orchestrated routines. Um, I know, oh, yeah, obviously, he's not like... taking the set pieces, which is why crestball has got the 5.5, which is another thing in itself. We could probably call that out too. Um, but Shufal, I think... Has that engine about him, um, and that's been shown throughout the course of the year, and he was able to kind of consistently get record those assists. Was. Um, yeah. So he 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 fits that style of play for West Ham, is what I'm saying. And because David Moyes is going to stay there, new contracts, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I think that could be really, really interesting.
0: Oh, I know, but like we could totally find ourselves looking at West Ham in October and being like, team in a sp- in a tailspin, Moyes has been sacked. Everything we thought <laughs> yeah, was going yeah. to happen last year hasn't happened. Uh, all those guys that they brought in last year who are revelations are gone. We all blame Euros fatigue and, <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> and we, we things continue. turn out differently. I, yeah, it's just, it is interesting. Like I told, basically I would say, yeah, I'd understand putting Sufat into your team but in the early weeks of the season, but it's just, I'm not so sure we will see him making a complete mockery of a 5.0 price tag because I think that is really contingent on the players ahead of him doing something more than we'd expect.
1: Fair enough. Okay, um, so the fun bit is we used to do a load of you know, fixture stuff pre-season because back in the day they used to release the fixtures and there used to be a large gap between the fixtures being released and the prices being released for FPL and um, obviously the fixtures kind of get moderated by how things change going forward. So I, I think they're probably it's probably not worth looking at the kind of fixture runs throughout the year. There are a couple that I'd note. Just open up your app and have a look at them. Um, we're not going to spend too long dwelling on these. One, United, Game Week 15-27. A really nice run when they faced no teams from the top four last season. And indeed, only play West Ham in Game Week 23. Literally, just open up your FPL app and have a look. Like, it's really, really good, that run. And also Chelsea. Game week twenty-three to the end of the season. I think they're going to be a huge, huge influence on how we set our teams up throughout the back end of the year, depending on how Europe goes. Um, but it's just wow. It's one of those things where every now and again you get one team that gets ridiculously nice run for one half of the season. Like Chelsea just seems to have it all bunched up um around the kind of the front end of the season, but towards the back, you know. The only topics they have in that period are two London derbies in Spurs and Arsenal, West Ham in 34 and United in 37. That's it from Game 23 onwards. So it's a top run if the personnel are good to go. So those are two that are worth looking at. But I think it's worth kind of throwing in some some general speculation early runs at this point. Um, And as Anthony mentioned earlier, Brighton and ex Albion are amazing. Um, you know, they start with no top four team in the first eight Burnley, Watford, Everton, uh, Brentford, Leicester, Crystal Palace, Arsenal, uh, and Norwich. They were third from bottom for XGC last year, uh, third from bottom for XCS last season. And Anthony mentioned, you know, the last 10, they're really, really good. And an okay but not brilliant front eight means I'm happy owning two of their defensive assets, to be honest. Robert, to Anthony, or Roger, to me, Sanchez, and ex are the two I'm going to probably be going with just because they're such like 4.5 million, both of them. Like If it works, great. If it doesn't, then they're 4.5 million. What the hell? Uh, those are two that I that I just quite like throwing in. So I, I like what you said earlier about them.
0: Yeah, I totally would agree with that, but that double up seems very viable early on, I guess. Of the elite teams, quote-unquote, Man United have the best early fixtures, and any fixture planner will show you this and they'll stick out to you. Liverpool, though, aren't too far behind them. And so, kind of the idea of having Salah and Bruno in your opening game, week one team, it was already something that you felt you were going to do. Bad fixtures aren't there to put you off doing that. So, I feel they will be a feature of uh, the template as we start the season. Brighton, uh, you, you kind of it reminds me of Southampton quite a few seasons back where they were the ultimate cash. Catfish team in the first few weeks of the season that many of us doubled and tripled up on them and got caught out. I hope that isn't the case, but Everton, Watford, and West Ham, and Newcastle actually, all have quite good fixtures early on that uh, will be good nominees potentially to be that catfish instead that will disappoint people. Uh, Maybe kind of being very utilitarian about pointing out good shifts in fixtures that come quite early on. Arsenal and Wolves fixtures improve massively from game week four onwards. Uh, Arsenal go on uh, an eight game week run Where they don't meet any of last season's top six For Wolves they go 11 weeks from game week four Without meeting any of last year's top six Leeds their fixtures turn in game week five And they go on a 10 game week run Where they meet none of the top six All of those seem like they're well set there For early wildcards Or if there happens to have been good form Shown in tougher fixtures By players from those three teams That you don't have on your side They look like the types of players You could be bringing in early on
1: yeah absolutely i think mean, there's definitely already a few sort of thoughts out there in terms of you know how wild cards could be played and i think that this is contingent obviously how things turn out because at the moment we're kind of in the same way that rotation makes work for Idle Minds preseason we're kind of sitting there thinking oh these are great fixtures you know these are amazing fixtures as it stands I mean who last year would have been sat here thinking oh that West Ham fixture oh that, that could be quite difficult for the likes of United out there um, but you know this year we are looking at United and it's going oh that's, that's quite tough um, and obviously those fixture swings are definitely in play for those sorts teams you know Game Week 8 is one where the likes of Man City their, their fixtures shift uh, Leeds their fixtures shift and the likes of Chelsea and Man United their fixtures stiffen is that going to be a good time to wild card? it's hard to know at the moment because it's hard to know how everything will shake out very early on I guess the other one that I would point out Anthony you mentioned a few there Everton oh, I mean depends on the manager I mean if Benitez goes there then Luca Dean could be interesting and Liverpool, Man United, Mayor, whatever. We're all going to have those players there, I'm sure. Um, the other one I may mention is Villa. Just on a very, very tactical level, their first three is Watford away and Newcastle and Brentford at home. Um, so there is obviously a few options there. The first one being Ollie Watkins, um, seventh highest XG last year. Let's not forget, that's his first season in the Premier League. 16.81 his XG and 14 goals. And let's not forget all the scrub efforts too for Mars North side, etc. Yeah, that was
0: that was so easy, a 20-goal season.
1: Yeah, he was very, very unlucky last time out. Um, and he's probably still impossible to watch if you actually own him because he's a very frustrating player because of the amount of chances that he fluffs. Um, but there are high HG chances. And if things go his way, as was it evidenced in the 7 2, he can, you know, any day pretty much get you a haul. So he could be one who can kick on. If Grealish is still there, you know, third most chances created last year, second for chances for 90 as well, and second for XA per 90 to KDB last year. If he's still there come game week one, he could be a raised value at eight. If not, Buendia is now there as well. He got the third most chance to create in the league in 2019-20 when he was up Norwich. Um, so another crazy addition to the side. Um, but I'd be worried about Watkins if Jack left because Buendia and Watkins would have to recreate that relationship. And maybe maybe a little bit different. But
0: Grealish draws saying. men away from someone like Watkins in a way that Buendia, for all of his creativity, does not it would be a very kind of whilst there is an element of like for like there's a big change there and how much better Aston Villa would be as a team to have a player like Wendia alongside Grealish with someone like Watkins ahead of them versus if they lose Grealish and Wendia comes in instead I think that they're going downwards from where they were last season if Wendia comes in and they lose Grealish and there's nothing else happens to that attacking quartet that they kind of tended to have last year whereas uh, if they keep them both that's they can definitely do what West Ham did last year or what they threatened to do I guess actually for long periods of last season uh, and Uh, for Europe
1: yeah they're right didn't they all right so a few things there to think about Um, we're going to love you and leave you on those actually we're not going to go all the way to the end but to our end on this podcast initial draft time um, I think we've probably intimated where we are with them. Um, Anthony gave a very good rundown, actually, of his draft. Um, bearing that in mind, Sanchez and 4.0 million Foster are my my goalkeepers at the moment. I, I don't believe in rotation at all. I think that's a waste of time. Defence-wise, I've got Trent, Shaw, Lamptey um, as the starting three. Fafana as the first sub, because you know, he'll play 90 minutes probably if Leicester keeps the free at the back. So he's always good to come on whenever. And I've got 4.0. I'm hoping by the time the season starts, that'll be one of the Williams brothers. They'll be you know there, thereabouts. They'll be able to come on, be this year's Wan-Bissaka or something like that. In the field, I've got Salah and Fernandes, obviously Grealish, for 8 million. I think that's um, ridiculously good value. If he's not at Villa, I'll have to think about it again. 5.5, 5, so what I've been saying earlier, you've got to kind of start to make kind of trade-offs. My 5.5 5 at the moment is actually Smith-Rowe because I don't want to have any players, actually, that I'm not sure about. So any players who are new to the league, any players who are newly promoted, I don't want to be messing around with that. If Sancho does move, then I think that's a different sort of proposition, and we can come back to that. But Smith-Rowe is there at the moment as a 5.5, and Gilmore, um, assuming he goes to Norwich, is is my 4.5. And up front, I've got Watkins, Ian Acho, and Dominic Havallon. Because I think they're all good. 8 million around near about sort of players who as I mentioned earlier fit into that conservatively priced bracket where they could be ridiculous value for money as they stand or they could be absolute duds and if they're absolute duds there's loads of other players I could buy within that bracket in terms of lock though I think that Salah Trent and Bruno feel fairly locky Trent and Salah are the biggest lockies and, and Sanchez and Lamptey as well are, are the other locks. But the rest of it is pretty much up for grabs, actually. But nonetheless, I'm quite happy with going in with a pretty boring 3 4 3. I have not tinkered much at all, actually. So maybe it will change when I start looking at it and start moving players around. I'll be like, oh, if I move this guy, and suddenly I'm in 3 5 2. I've not gotten to that point yet. Um, But that looks like a pretty decent 3 4 3 to me as it stands in terms of what we know now. Anthony, where'd you stand?
0: Yeah so the the team I've made here I'm just going to put a massive caveat on it and right. just say I put together a squad really to try and look at the price structure because I just didn't I didn't want to get into building teams and planning based on fixtures in July it, it was just it felt completely pointless to me and I'm just avoiding it and I'm not going to do it really until in August probably so right now what I have in goals I have Sanchez and then I have, I have McCarthy in there there's no good reason for putting McCarthy there I just wanted to put a 4.5 there and I hadn't decided on the second one it's not because I want to have rotating goalkeepers it's because I like to have two goalkeepers and that's why um, I have that other one there it'll probably be though Sanchez would be kind of in the set and forget mould until he isn't I in defence have Trent Alexander-Arnold likewise I think he is a complete lock-in he has Diaz Maguire Fofana and Cody So you'll see when I was talking about the price structures earlier, I talked about possibly the option you would have to have if you wanted to finance a defence that had two 5.5s and also had a 4.0 dud. I've gone for the slightly more deluxe version of defence in this by having a 7.5, a 6, a 5.5, and then two 4.5s. That has squeezed my midfield options somewhat, which means I've had to make some tough choices. So I have Salah and Fernandez in there. I do not have Son who I would like to have in it. Instead, I have Foden, Rafinha and Gilmore. Uh, as it stands right now, he is a, an interchangeable 4.5 that I'm not particularly wedded to. I'm just excited by him uh, in general. And then up front, I have, again, I haven't gone for the super squeeze up front that I had discussed as a potential thing you could do if you wanted to get as much money from midfield. I've spent that little bit more. And I have three forwards, two of whom are worth talking about. So Keenan Davis is the one that isn't worth really talking about. He's just the 4.5 dud that's in there. Ollie Watkins is in there. And Callum Wilson is beside okay. him just because of those slightly better early fixtures that I really wasn't thinking about, but he's there anyway.
1: I feel like you like Callum Wilson a lot in an FPL sort of contest. Like I feel like he, he's one of those players that every year you kind of have for a little bit. Is it just the <laughs> talisman nature of him?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really like, like, I just, I don't know. I like what he does and from an FPL perspective. I don't like watching Newcastle games. I'd rather, yeah, you know. O- awful goals. to watch,
1: aren't they? But like at the end of the day, yeah. if you turn your phone on at 90 minutes, you kind of see that Wilson's managed to score a goal somehow. like
0: Yeah. A penalty came or even an assist and things as well. He is one of those players that does offer goal and assist potential in a way that many forwards can't. And that's what I like about him too. Yeah.
1: Brilliant. I feel like there's a lot we could have gone into here and I think listeners will appreciate why we haven't just because there's a lot they could have changed. And I think we've spent all of our time basically putting health warnings on things that you will be thinking of that we've thought of. But nonetheless, I think there's a really interesting discussion, a really kind of nice way in. So just getting back into podcasting again, I think just because we've had a little bit of time off, we've blown the rust off here. Um, and I think it's um, be interesting just to kind of speculate and think about how the new seasons going to look. and we're we'll definitely be back to speak about this in the future. And um, that's for sure
0: yeah absolutely so a welcome to 2021 2022 and thanks so much for listening to those of you who are returning Uh, it's been great to have you back and for those of you that are new it would be great if you hit the subscribe button if you haven't already just so that you can hear more of us right through the season we were of course who got the assist if you want to join our fpl mini league the code is 2ip43t or 2ip43t (laughs) <laughs> if you try to get it into your head so you can just type right T. yeah That's there
1: you go a way to join the wgt aiming league right yeah no absolutely um yeah really <laughs> great, good to be great, back great to be back <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah great to be back um so uh the pre-season schedule was pretty set as well So after this podcast, next one, it's the start of three brilliant special podcasts that we recorded over the summer, which are coming your way, which focus on specific themes and how they interact with FPL. So those summer podcasts were recorded with amazing guests, and they were, one, FPL and psychology slash behavioral science, two, FPL and fandom, and three, FPL and data and analytics more detail on them to come soon uh, but the first one will be fpl and uh, psychology slash payable science and that'll be coming your way monday the 12th um after the euros end and then anthony after that i guess we're going to do two final podcasts uh, ahead of game week one which are kind of following on from this one keeping that thread going and um, uh, in terms of how it's all looking um you know a week before we we'll do that kind of formal price analysis before we go into kind of you know on the week before um looking at kind of how we're shaping up and sort of late things
0: to clear up yeah exactly team building in earnest begins then and we can really start to put meat on the bones of what our fpl seasons are going to start with at least And I that's realistically that's when all of the listeners are also going to be really putting their teams together and it, it kind of makes sense to just get ourselves going at that point so looking forward to that i think there's an awful lot of interesting decisions kind of being posed to us by fpl this year and I'm, as usual, excited to try and work out a way to uh, do well, but disappoint myself in the process over the course of the season.
1: <laughs> oh, oh and one other thing um, the FPL London Summer Meetup, 24 uh, 7, 24th of July, uh, 2021. Uh, that is a Saturday. Uh, all guidelines permitting, it looks like it will be a normal event. Um, providing freedom day comes when it comes uh, so make sure uh, you get yourself down there it's the editor's tap professor lane london and um, if you can make it do um we'll be there for 3 p.m onwards and it's just dropping so you know whatever you do throughout the day is fine come in come and go as you please it should be a really amazing event we're doing that with uh planet fpl and also the guys from surgery uh james and rich and we cannot wait for the day so yeah definitely try to come along to that if you can Really, really looking forward to it cool all right well that's pretty much it this week so we'll speak to you very very soon Uh, in the meantime we hope we assisted you begin to think about fpl again ahead of next season but if not we'll speak to you next week for fpl and psychology such behavioral science very excited to share that with you and we'll speak to you very very soon goodbye bye oh it's a goal Who got the assist who got the
0: assist